So Pete, where, where are you today? What are you doing? Well, I'm currently standing in the rain in a parking lot on the campus of the University of Washington. Uh, it's dark too. Cause it's early in the morning. Pete, how long ago was it that you uh, went to school here? Let's, <laughs> um, let's really get down well, to let's, it. Let's, let's start by saying no one's gonna mistake me for a student. Uh, it was a, about 40 years ago I went to school here. That makes me feel really old. everybody, welcome to another episode of the NordyPod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. So this episode, it's actually something we've never really done before. We got a correspondence from a professor at the University of Washington, Dr. Marty Matthews, and she's been using our podcast as, as part of her teaching curriculum at the University of Washington Foster School of Business, which makes us feel great. So we thought, wouldn't it be great to go out and talk with the class and record it and get some of this feedback from students? You know, students are always super candid and honest. There's a lot to be learned there. And the fact is, we want to resonate and be relevant with young people, too. So there's a lot for us to be able to learn. And it's really fun to be able to go do this. So I'm with Kent Worthington, who you know from uh, the Nordy Pod, who does all this work with us to, to bring the show to life. And then Grace Stearns, who's part of our PR team. And often PR goes along with me it's at things like this to make sure I don't screw up and say something stupid. So Pierre is there. Thank you, Grace, for that. And so we're really looking forward to this. I think we'll get some interesting stuff out of it. And who knows exactly where it's going to go. So let's get into it. It's early here. They got the cleaning staff in. Not a lot of students walking around. Wow, look at this. I think this is our room. This is nice. It wasn't like this when it, you were here. It, was this like, was it like this when you were in business school? No, this looks like the, the bridge to Star Trek or something. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Dr. Matthews. You're early. We're not messing around. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hi, Hi Marty. Delightful to meet you. Hi, I'm Grace. Grace, hello. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. She's with our PR team this because really because fun. they get nervous when it's Pete out in the wild doing interviews. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make sure. Like to come along for the experience. So. Hi. Hello. That's Ken. Okay. Well, I was thinking we were going to go upstairs. Yeah, we, let's go upstairs and do this. Okay. Welcome to my office. Look how clean it is. This will be cozy. Here we go. Come in, come in, come in. Okay, so we're here uh, in the office of Marty Matthews at the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. Yes. And you were nice enough to invite me here to come speak to your class today. So I thought it'd be a good idea that maybe we can chat a little bit before we do that. So let's first, can you tell us a little bit about you? And what brings you to a place that you're a professor here at the, the esteemed Foster School of Business? Okay, I wasn't expecting that Well, question. yeah, that's how we do it here. <laughs> I've been in Seattle since 1992, 
and I came out originally to teach in the School of Communications, and I have a background in advertising, and then I switched over to the business school, and I can't remember. So, but, but do you have a background in teaching? I mean, did you go to school for? I went to graduate school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. For teaching or for, I have a to get PhD like PhD in mass communication research. Wow, okay, well that's impressive. And before that I had worked in advertising, and I was originally hired to teach advertising in the School of Communications where we had an actual advertising degree back then. But then over the years, I've added more classes. The one that I found the podcast for was I teach a retailing class once a year. And we offer a retailing class because Seattle is kind of the epicenter of retailing. And there are many retail companies that want to recruit our students. And so I kind of dove in and I've had a bunch of guest speakers out from the various, you know, like Costco. And I have, I had your brother Blake years ago. Oh. Yes. And the way I found the podcast is I am a cardholder. I'm a customer. So I was personally marketed to by Nordstrom. And that very first episode with Mickey Drexler, I clicked on it and like, I'm going to listen to that because he's such a big name in retail. And the next quarter I was gonna be teaching the retailing class and I was just like, this this is just perfect for the class. I I didn't realize we were adding value to the academic world with our podcast, but I feel pretty good about that. Well, honestly, I started to feel guilty because I was making a list and I think I've assigned seven different episodes in four or five different classes over the last, whatever, year and a half. And it's true, that's why I finally broke down and wrote you. I was feeling great guilt that I had been using this educational resource and I hadn't thanked you. And I don't think my mother would have approved it, you know? <laughs> so Well, I, thank you for thinking us, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and it's just been kind of an amazing resource because you interview these people who, I feel like they have their guard down a little bit when they're talking to you. And they're sharing stories that are, sometimes the stories are kind of behind the scenes stories. And so I always like to assign them to sort of give an example of something that might be in a textbook or historical background. But that's how I came to the podcast. Well, that's really great. Um, (laughs) So tell me about what to expect today. So these students, where are they in their jur- academic journey? Is this like an entry class? No, in the they're kind of or? at the end of their academic okay. journey. They're all business majors. Most of them are seniors. And the official title of the class is Marketing and Brand Strategy. So we talk about brands, and then I noticed that your title, in addition to being president, is Chief brand officer, is that correct? That's correct. So we I'm would not love, entirely sure what that well, means. Well, we were going to ask you, what, how do you manage <laughs> the brand? And so we oh talk my. about brands okay. in this class. And I'd also be curious to hear what they, what they feel about Nordstrom. Yeah, and so we'll get that today. You get a lot of candor from young people, which is really interesting. I know, uh, it can be scary too. No, I, and I, <laughs> I, I love it, and I think it's great. But um, Marty, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to meeting your class and everything. So I guess now we just gotta go down and uh, meet him in the classroom. So let's go do that. Let's do it. Coming in. All right, everybody. We're so excited 
that we have Pete Nordstrom, who is the president and chief brand officer of Nordstrom here today. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna do a little bit of a Q&A. And I, I guess I'm a little bit curious what you all perceive the brand of Nordstrom to be. Um, so hold that. Pete is a Husky and yeah, tell your story. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to your class. So do these guys know that we're recording this for a podcast? Yes. So I told them if they don't want to be recorded, don't speak. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be recorded? I mean, you know. Yeah. So just by way of quick introduction. So, uh, yes, I was a student here. I graduated from the University of Washington. I was an English major. They didn't let me hang out much around this space. I kind of walked by it to go to my English classes. You might ask yourself, well, why was he an English major? You, you must have thought you were going and to work at Nordstrom and stuff. And that really was not my plan. When I was a really young person, I thought I'm gonna be a professional basketball player. That's, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, it became pretty clear as I got older, I, no one was gonna pay me to play basketball. So I had to start thinking about what I wanted to do. And for me, and I remember asking my dad, God, what classes do you think I should take? And, I, and it was because I wanna go work at Nordstrom. What do you think I should do? I was like, I'm not really sure what I wanna do. What do you think? And he said, well, I was an economics major in college and not one thing I ever learned in school has pertained to anything I've ever done in business. So I don't think that that's very important. He goes, I think you should, <laughs> this, sorry, this is probably not going over well for you. I, his thing was take the class you like and most businesses or jobs that people get are not because there's some very specific doctrine they follow. He goes, no, if you want to be a botanist or a doctor or a scientist, I mean, that's, but most people, you know, find their way and in, in get into business or whatever it is they're going to do. So he says, I, I wouldn't be so worried about that. So for me, and you, maybe some of you can relate to this, maybe not, you're in the foster school business, so probably not, but I, I chose the path of least resistance. I picked the things that were the easiest for me to do. And reading a book and writing a paper about it was way easier than studying math problems or memorizing It sounds facts. delightful. That wasn't bad. Um, so I like that, That was that's what I did. And so I had always worked at Nordstrom during the summers. I started when I was 12 in the stock room and I started selling shoes when I was 16. But that was really just a means to an end. I worked so that I can make money, you know, to like buy a car when I was 16 or to be able to have spending money. It wasn't like, oh, this is all part of a great plan where I'm working from the bottoms up and I'm gonna learn the retail business and therefore I'm gonna be president of Nordstrom someday. I, that was not really on my mind. Um, but. By the time I was done with college and I knew I had to get a job, I had liked my experience working at Nordstrom. I understood what it was. It was really kind of a meritocracy-based place. And so I understood kind of what it would take to get ahead. And the company was going through a lot of growth at that time. So there was a lot of opportunity. So I just decided I'm going to do it. I'm going for it. And here I am now, a lot of years later, and, you know, president of the company and really work in tandem with my brother, Eric. And uh, it's been great. I'm doing this a long time. So I started doing this podcast and we're just looking for ways that we can connect with customers better. And so put it out there and see if people engage with our company in a different way that makes them like what we do, I suppose. So that's that's really the goal. Does your dad listen? He does, he likes it. <laughs> you have to count on someone to listen to it. We just decided for this thing, well, we got invited to come speak, so let's record it. Why not? That might make for a good episode. Because frankly, I, what I hope to have happen here is respond to the questions and things you guys are interested in. And I'm pretty sure I'll learn something from that. So that's my goal today. Very good. Do you want to open up with some questions or? Let's go for it here. 
Okay. Do I just yeah, hold? Okay. Oh, okay. You hold. So yeah, okay. tell us okay. who you are. <laughs> tell us who you are. What okay. what year you are in school? Then go for it. Okay. I'm Iman. I'm a senior studying finance, IS, and marketing, and I worked at Nordstrom. 2020 when COVID, like a few months after COVID started, I was like, Wait, I'm, where did you work? I worked at the Alderwood Mall location. All right. And it was my first job ever. Um, I was tired of sitting at home, like locked, you know, under lockdown. And I was, I kind of similar to you, I was like, I just want some like pocket money that I can use to like go out with friends and stuff. At the time you, it was all saved for me because you couldn't do anything in COVID. And I never ever shopped at Nordstrom before I started working there. I kid you not. So why first, did you apply there? There was an opening and I was like, you know, Alderwood Mall, five minutes from my house. So why I mean, not? it could have been Hot Topic or something. It could have been okay, any, not, any place and you would have gone for it. Not Hot Topic, not Hot I'm, Topic. I don't know, like, why Nordstrom? I hot literally, I don't even I mean, have, like, court. a valid reason for why I applied. I know I associated Nordstrom with, like, bougie, but that's all I knew. And I knew that I, like, never shopped there because I was, I was a freshman, like, starting college at this point. And ever since I worked there, like, my app is just, like, endless Nordstrom orders like I anytime I go somewhere or anytime I need something I literally only buy it from Nordstrom and anytime someone this is asks going me, great so far <laughs> anytime someone asks me, even this sweatshirt is from Nordstrom anyways um my friends always like ask me like oh where do you buy that buy that and at this point they just stopped asking me because like even Avisha, she'll be like, Iman, where'd you get that? Nordstrom and I'll be like yep and then my friends they associate Nordstrom with like the older generation, like older than me. So they're like, how do you find this stuff? And I feel like they don't know. They find the app. Do you buy most things online or do you buy them Online, store? yeah, mostly online. I'll do like curbside pickup a lot of the times. <laughs> um, What's wrong it's with that? so easy. Curbside pickup's great. But you're yeah. missing the whole experience. <laughs> no, but it's, since COVID, it's like, and also I've gotten so good well, let, at let it. Let me let you in a little secret there. Curbside pickup, is the most profitable sale we have. Oh, so really? we think it's great. Well, you're, okay. there's you're integral to this financial success. Yes. And you know, when I was going to, when I was going to, I went to Thailand and Bali this summer, I needed this one, two dresses from Nordstrom. And I was like, dang, these are not coming in time. And the Nordstrom customers are like, the people at Alderwood Mall know me so well because I'm always doing curbside pickup there. <laughs> they gave me a free two day shipping and it came in time for my trip. So, yep. All right. Wow. So I love Nordstrom. Oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, you want to bring that from the kids. Thank you. That's really nice. Pete, did you pay her? I did not pay her. <laughs> All right. Who's next? Um, hi, I'm Kate. I'm a junior studying marketing supply chain with a minor in English. And my question to you is actually, if you were to go back to your days at UW, would you stick with English or would you go maybe to business or something else? Because my minor is something I often find have, like I need to justify it to my mom um, and also my like friends. So I was wondering, yeah, if you would stick with it looking back. Yeah, I think, it, you know, in hindsight, I certainly would have, I would have been more intentional about the classes that I took and not knowing, even if I didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing, I would have applied myself to it more rather than just find a way to plow through it and you know, you guys have your perspective based on the reality of your life, but I, I'm sure your parents would say a similar thing, but I don't think it's important. I mean, you're saying that your, your parents have a hard time getting their head around English is something that's worth your while, but I can tell you this, I write a pretty good letter. <laughs> I, um, 
I'm a pretty good writer. Anyway, I, I would encourage you to take the things that fill your bucket that you like, and then you'll figure out, you know, in your professional career what you want to do. And it all applies at a certain point, because a lot of what college is about is learning the discipline of getting stuff done and being accountable. You're on your own, you got to go show up, you got to do the work. And that applies regardless of what classes you're taking. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Ella. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm Ella. I'm a senior studying marketing and human resources. So you mentioned earlier, like what we think of the brand and like people thrown around, like we associate it with like the older generation. And that's kind of true and for bougie, me. bougie, we've got that bougie, too. Bougie, yes. <laughs> um, but like for me, I don't personally shop at Nordstrom very often just because it's a little bit out of my way and out of my budget sometimes. But I have a lot of good brand associations with it because to me, like growing up, Nordstrom was where I went when like my grandpa, it's his birthday. My mom would take me and my brother. We'd go pick him out a nice dress shirt. So I was just wondering, like for me as a consumer, right? Like my brand association, I'm like pretty loyal to Nordstrom, not for myself, but for others. And I was wondering if, do you try to create that kind of brand loyalty in younger demographics? Yes, we'd love to have you as a customer. And the fact that doesn't seem relevant to you is a miss for us. But I think it's true in the last handful of years, we've not done a particularly good job with younger customers. We used to do a much bigger business with what I call younger customers, like let's say it's 15 to 25. And it wasn't a conscious thing for us. It was just kind of chasing what was really working. And in the last 10 years, Probably the biggest growth business that we've had is all the designer stuff, which all you guys probably like, but you probably can't necessarily afford. I get it, um, but we sell a lot of that. But interestingly, there's been a lot of talk in this last year. We've got to do a better job of connecting with young customers because a big part of what we're doing is not only trying to keep the customers we have happy, but we have to get new customers. You have to keep going. And so the acquisition part of what we do often has a lot to do with getting young people. And so we want to just be in that consideration set, so we have to do a better job. But I think, I really think it starts with what our offer is. Is it relevant to you? Um, hi, my name is Avisha and I'm studying, I'm a senior, I'm studying finance and marketing. I'm just curious what your personal experiences have been like growing through the company in terms of diversity and also how you take diversity into consideration when you're making decisions about like brand image and things like that. That's a really good question. I mean, diversity, we've always kind of naturally lent ourselves to a diverse approach because the, the approach has always been whatever we do has to reflect the communities we serve. And just look around the room, we serve a community of all different types of people. And so if customers are motivated by, there's a couple of things they might be motivated by, sustainability, like I only want to purchase stuff that's sustainable and good for our environment. That That's kind of disproportionately important for young people, which is great. Or I want to buy from diverse brands that represent me. I want to, you know, like if you're African-American and say, well, I, I, I want to buy an African-American brand. I want to know what those brands are. And so these are things that are in reaction to us just trying to do a good job for customers. So we've always had all kinds of different folks working in our company. Like, for example, 70% of our employees are women. You know, I'm on the executive team, which is burdened by white males like named Nordstrom, like me on the group, <laughs> um, on our board of directors up until a year ago, and there's 10 board members, three of them were black women. So these are the things that 
we intentionally and instinctively had done, not because someone's made us do it. It's certainly much more diverse than it was you know, 20 years ago. That's for sure. And I think that's a good thing. Hi, my name is Allison. Um, I'm a third year studying marketing and visual communication design. Uh, you mentioned how sustainability and ethical practices are becoming increasingly important to consumers. I was curious how Nordstrom implements ethical practices in um, their brand image, looking into the brands that they carry and how they're uh, sustainably sourced and what ethical practices they use. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna be able to recite all the specific statistics about that, but we release an impact report that talks about how we're doing relative to our sustainability and diversity goals. I think it's just, again, people want to associate with a business that's relevant to them and reflects their values. So it's good for us to be transparent about the stuff that we're working on. So we have goals about single use plastic or recycling or sustainability or how many percent of business that's done from minority owned brands. I mean, we, we measure these things and then we talk about it. So I think it's just, a fact of life. People demand transparency and they should. It's, it, again, that's another good thing about the internet and all that. It creates a lot of transparency. And you know, no one wants to shop from the company that's bad for the environment or has bad social policies or treats their employees terrible or has slave labor, I mean, you know, all that stuff. But that stuff used to happen because businesses could get away with it. I mean, there was no transparency for that stuff. So Grace, do you have anything you want to say about I would we, and we can send the impact yeah, report yeah. to you guys. I definitely encourage you to check it out because you can see we have a defined set of like five-year goals related to diversity and inclusion, sustainability, human rights, all these different categories. And something I would also, you know, Pete touched on this a little bit, but we, you know, we do a lot of business with these brands. So if we're holding them to a specific set of standards or practices, we can drive change within those brands by doing so. So we have like a really robust partner code of conduct that we require all of our partners to sign on to and acknowledge. And we've had some really meaningful conversations in that respect in terms of driving change throughout the industry more broadly with partners that want to do business with Nordstrom. Yeah, I mean, we've dropped brands that had bad people policies and, you know, we don't do business with those people. Hi, my name is Pranuti. I'm a junior um, studying marketing, but I'm also a pre-medical student. Marketing and medical. Yeah. That's a good combo. Uh -huh. Interesting. And I was kind of wondering how intentional is it from the branding perspective for Nordstrom to become a part of the community more than just a retailer? Because we learn in all of our classes, like Nordstrom is the example of customer satisfaction and people having loyalty towards it. So is it kind of intentional from the company's side as well to become more than just a retailer and actually part of the community? Yeah, it is. Um, but I think that would be true really for any business. I mean, I think ultimately you've, you've got to be part of the communities you serve or you don't seem relevant, right? Are you? Because people have choices. And I, for us, one of the things we talk about over the years, kind of regardless of where we have a store, and we were started in Seattle, but we're everywhere now, is try to make it the hometown store. How do you make it the hometown store? You're engaged and participating in that stuff that's important to your community. So we, you know, we've got a pretty robust philanthropic plan, and a lot of it covers national things. But you know, for example, Nordstrom support Seattle Children's Hospital. We, but we also probably support you know the Children's Hospital wherever they may be. Um, the, our philanthropic efforts typically center around kids, families, health, health and welfare 
because you can't do everything. So that we, we tend to find that. But you know, like we've got a couple of really interesting programs that we do. One of them is called Shoes That Fit. And so we work with Nike and other athletic brands and we get them to give us a bunch of shoes. Then we go to communities where families and kids don't have any money and we give them shoes. And that's amazing. And then we have Operation Warm where we get coats. We work with brands to get coats together and we distribute them to uh, people that can't afford them. Um, and that stuff, I, I, well, for a couple things. First of all, it's great for the community, but also employees really like it. And if you start talking about a place that you want to work, you want to work someplace that reflects your values too. And that's a big part of it. People, you know, they work for a paycheck, but they don't just work for a paycheck. They want to be associated with a place that feels like this misrepresents me. And so that that's another reason why it's important. Hi, I'm Faith. Uh, I'm a senior studying marketing and finance. And I was just wondering, as chief brand officer at Nordstrom, you manage and market so many different kinds of brands. So how do you kind of determine like this brand image of like free people or essentials and all those brands? How do you kind of determine what will align with the Nordstrom brand image and how you kind of keep it consistent, but also still provide options for everyone? Our aim is to carry the best stuff the world has to offer. But if you think how a modern person dresses, like if someone just gave you a zillion dollars tomorrow and you could buy whatever you want, would you just go and buy head to toe Chanel clothes or, or Brunello Cuccinelli? I mean, you probably wouldn't. You just look at the way a modern person dresses. It's kind of how they pull it all together. I bet you she's got a Viore jogger. She might have a Topshop jacket. I, I bet you she's got a pair of Nikes sitting there. We're not so hung up on the price of everything. We're much more interested in the zeitgeist of what is really popular for a modern customer. Can anyone tell me the fastest growing brand at Nordstrom right now? Not the biggest yet, but it's the fastest growing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Really? <laughs> How'd you know that? That was really good. Okay, hang on, we're gonna get this. Hang on, hang on. So, so how do you know that? Because I guess Nordstrom is the only place that will sell Skims in person. So if you wanna go inside and try on a Skims dress, for example, you can go to Nordstrom and do that, whereas you can't do it online. That's correct. So um, Skims, that Kardashian thing is real. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is like a rocket ship. I mean, that is an amazing business. And we're their biggest wholesale partner. They, they've started selling sacks as well but they mostly do business direct, right? Through their own channel, either online or their own stores. They only have a couple of those. But again, it speaks to, there's all these different elements that make up a person's wardrobe and we sell all of it. And that's, we're trying to be that solution for a modern customer. Yeah. Okay. Hi, my name is Sydney. I'm a senior studying marketing and accounting, and I have two questions. Number one is we talk a lot in this class about brand elements and what makes up a brand. In your opinion, what do you think Nordstrom's most important brand element is? Customer experience. Yeah. I mean, you talk about marketing. <laughs> I mean, the, the best marketing we have is what? Word of mouth. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. We do not outspend our competition on advertising marketing. We spend a lot of marketing, but not nearly as much. I mean, brands like Nike or any of these brands, they spend huge amounts on marketing. But our thing is, it's just like you've heard here. If you came to Nordstrom and bought something like your experience and you told one friend or told three people, that 
That is gold. That stuff really works. Now, we've also been around for 122 years now. You don't strike lightning in a bottle necessarily with the word of mouth thing, but it's, it's more durable. It creates, you know, kind of more stickiness with a customer. So lifetime value stuff's important. I'm sure you guys talk about that. We do. Or like if you, like whatever you're wearing, someone goes, where'd you get that? And you tell them like, oh yeah, man, that's gold for us. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm a senior studying marketing and I wanted to tell you a story about a purchase I recently made at Nordstrom. I had no intention of shopping at Nordstrom. Um, I needed one specific lipstick for Halloween costume. And I We're went- We're here to help for that too. <laughs> so I don't, I never turn to Nordstrom for makeup. It's always like Ulta, so, Sephora. Okay. <laughs> hey, look at, I've got a 13 year old daughter, like it's mad at me because I only let her buy stuff at Nordstrom because she wants to go to Sephora and Ulta. That is always interesting. Keep going. <laughs> so um, this one particular brand was only like available like direct or like through like certain partnerships. And I had no idea that they had like, they supplied to you guys now. So like they have something going on with you guys. But I went to the website and it was like gonna be like 15, 20 bucks. And then, you know, I get to the page to check out and everything. And I'm like, cool. And then shipping was $8. And I was like, yeah, I was like, this is going to be a $30 lipstick for something I'm going to wear like maybe once or twice. And this is ridiculous. So then I was like, I wonder if Nordstrom offers free shipping. So because you never shut up about Nordstrom. Never <laughs> so, she said, I never shut up about Nordstrom. Oh. <laughs> so then I go to Nordstrom because like, well, I, I look up where else I can buy this. And like one of the only places you could buy it was like Nordstrom. And I was like, Okay, so then I add to my cart and I go to the checkout page and it says free shipping. And I'm like, see, this is what I want. So then I made an account and everything and I was like, cool. So you got me. That's good. <laughs> the other thing is you mentioned beauty. Uh, the biggest point of entry for us for customers is beauty for young customers and acquisition. And a lot of it's because the price points are different, but it's yeah, we beauty is a really important department at Nordstrom because of the acquisition element of it, for sure. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm a senior student marketing and minoring in English as well. And I listened, I've been listening to the podcast for about on and off a year now, but I went back and listened to the Last Chance episode out of curiosity because I actually used to work on the beauty floor at Nordstrom. So I got a lot I'm of- I'm amazed how many of you guys used to work at Nordstrom. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And I really got to witness firsthand what that kind of gap between younger customers and the Nordstrom standard of service. One of them being that what do you mean by that? A lot of younger customers don't really get the high contact point, uh, like in-store model of shopping and beauty at Nordstrom compared to like Sephora or Ulta. Right. And those stores are more independent at Nordstrom. It's very one-on-one. -on -one. Like I felt like at times I was sometimes like a therapist to my clients, most of whom were older. <gasps> what store did you work at? Downtown Bellevue. Okay. So the bond you can get at your salesperson with Nordstrom can be super personal. Like they can really get you something you need. But I feel like especially because some people go digital only, they don't really know that that's kind of an option or that, I don't know, they just perceive the you know, salespeople at Nordstrom as being kind of out of touch with them when that's not true. You can come in, find someone who can help you out with anything. Well, you know, part of it is one of the things that the online business has done is it's made transactions more transactional. They're really based on speed and convenience and price, which is hugely important to people's buying decisions, but it, it rarely has little to do with discovery, like learning something new that you didn't know, learn more about a product. So what we try to do is meet customers where they are. If they just want a transaction, we, we can do that. We, we had a hard time shifting to that because we used to define good services, all this high connection stuff that take a, took a lot of time and you know, you're really personally investing with people. And a lot of people just don't want that. They just, I just want to buy this and I just want to go. 
and that's so we have to do both. But I would say, you know, for us, one of the things we're really working at, even on the online part of the business, is how do we elevate the experience and discovery? So it's not just I'm looking for this exact lipstick, boom, there it is, I'm buying it. Because it's hard just to go, I think I'm gonna browse around online and see what's up. Like if, if you guys went, mostly women in this room and said, okay, I'm looking for a black dress, and you click on black dress in the search bar, you're gonna get 40 pages. There's no way you're making it past page two, probably, or maybe three. And so it's just like, it's too much. It's a bit overwhelming. But if you walk into a store, you might see a black dress hanging there, or you might talk to a salesperson, because I got, you should try this. and then that becomes something different. But I guess it, it really depends on the need state because again, I, I, I would say that both matter, but I'm interested in your guys' point of view if you feel like, hey, young people don't care at all about service or personal connection or relation. They just want to transact. Because if that's true, then that changes how we approach marketing and working with young customers. I think maybe we can do one more question. How about yeah. that? Um, well, we do have time. one in the back. Hi, uh, my name is Holly. I am a senior and I'm studying marketing. Um, coming from my perspective, I definitely am trying to go in and out and I feel awkward and I shut down when people kind of like try to style me because it's definitely an experience that I don't think our generation really has experience with. And especially well, it's with elective. You can say, no thanks, I'm going to take care of myself. Very true. And I worked at a company where I was a stylist, so I had experience. Where was that? I worked at Evereve in University oh, yeah, Village. Sure. And so I, and we People don't talk get, a lot about every that our customers that like it. Yeah, there, it's definitely more towards the older generation. Uh, they go so what for is like moms. <laughs> What's that mean you say older? Like, what are we talking about? Here? Probably like 30 to 50. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm older me. than me. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone want to know, guess what the average age of a Nordstrom customer is? And it's a purchaser, not a wearer, but the actual purchaser. 45. 45. Oh, good job. He's nailed it. And when we talk to brands that we deal with, they're like, oh my God, that's so much older than what we do. I said, yeah, it's not the wearer, it's the purchaser. Because a lot of young people, their parents are buying them stuff. And so it, it shows up that a 50-year-old person bought it, but a 17-year-old person's wearing it kind of thing. You know, that's so... That happens a lot, but and it also it has a lot to do with just our average price point. You know, the, the higher price points get, even if it seems like really young stuff. I mean, older people tend to have more money than younger people. So anyway, I digress. For, Keep going. Forty-five was the same age range for Ever Eve. It was like mom age, and they mom were very age. much trying to like get moms who were busy on the go but needed like an outfit so yeah. we would find and they style look them. cute but they don't look crazy yeah we yeah. were trying to find like a balance for Age them like that was our job we also didn't earn commission at every eve so it was you very didn't? much just yeah no we did not mm. so it was just very much based on like how we wanted to portray ourselves to the consumers and customers coming in so I had experience styling, but whenever I was being styled, I w did not like it. But then I was just shopping with my mom and we were fully on board with someone helping her style, but I would never have wanted the same. Yeah, I think the stylist thing, we we probably put too many eggs in that basket because not everyone wants to be served that way. Like, for example, I, mean, I, I really don't want to be styled. I mean, I work in the business, so I, I have a, a day of what I want to get. and. And I kind of know, and I'm six foot seven, so a lot of things, they keep saying, how about this, how about this? I go, that's not gonna fit me. Well, why don't you try it on? It's not gonna fit. Like, yeah, it doesn't fit. Oh. So, um, but I, I understand your point. Not, and that's why the finesse of what we do is not 
a rote script about how people are interacting with customers. What they should do is like, what's the worst thing you can do with a customer on a greeting in a store that just doesn't work? Let me know if you need anything. That's up there, but it's, can I help you? And what is, what do you think the number one response is to, can I help you? No. I'm just looking. <laughs> so what we, what we say is like, just say hi. Hi. Hello, Holly. Hi. And then like, and then you can say, what are you, what are you looking for today? And, and it may be, I got to buy a present for my friend or I need this lipstick for a Halloween costume. I mean, it can be, but if you ask questions, then you can be of, of service for people. But that's really hard for people to do. They, you're at, we're asking people to just be natural and friendly. And what's easier is to do what? Follow a script. May I help you? Can I show you a dressing room? And that just doesn't work super well. So it's interesting just listening to you talk about your guys' experience because I guess one of my takeaways would be, because a few people have said it, is I just kind of want to go in and do my thing here. I don't necessarily want someone hovering over me or am I getting that kind of right? I don't want to be styled. Is yeah, that? Okay. Noted. Got it. All right. <laughs> All right. I think we're out of time. There's actually an MBA class coming in after here. So All right. Be... I just want to thank everybody for, first of all, paying attention. I remember when I was a student going to class, I don't think there's any chance in hell I would have been able to sit there and not kind of nod it off, falling asleep. So no one fell asleep. I really appreciate that. <laughs> no, they're pretty um, fabulous. But I, I appreciate your feedback, too. It's interesting to me. And if there's things you didn't get to ask me that you wanted to, I'm Pete at Nordstrom.com. If you got a question for me, I'm happy to hear from you. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. It's nice to meet you all. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey, and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like, a share, and a review so other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to Nordstrom.com slash Podcast or follow us on our Instagram page at the Nordipod to stay up to date on new episodes, announcements, and more. We'd also really like to hear about your experiences with Nordstrom. So if you have a story about how you received great service, or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com. You can even give us a call and leave a voicemail, and you just may get a chance to talk to me personally on a future episode of the show. That number is 206-594-0526. So don't be shy, drop us a line and be part of the Nordypod. And make sure to tune in next time as we turn back the clock to the year 1998, which was actually the dawn of Nordstrom.com. And we're going to shine a light at what it was like to birth that business. And that's now become such a big, important part of our total business. It was also the year that we had a grand opening of our new flagship store in Seattle. Listen as we open up the time capsule that's been embedded in the wall of our downtown Seattle store for 25 years. Here it is. Oh my gosh, maybe we could guess the value of this. It's the cutest little beanie baby ever. Get a glimpse of what Nordstrom was like at the turn of the millennium and how we've evolved and changed since then. Next time on The Nordy Pod.